Do you remember seeing the settings in which the dramatic animated movie Lion King took place? The breathtaking scenery, including vistas of vast plains, savannas, rivers, jungles, and rock formations? Those magnificent settings were an integral part of the story, and although they looked photographic, they were actually created with CGI. How did they do that? Well, in this episode, 2226, Bill and John Johnston, the CG bros, will be telling us when they answer the commonly asked question, how are CGI environments created? On the CG Bros, CG Insider Podcast. Welcome to the CG Insider Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, hello. If you're a regular listener, then darn it, it's great to see you again. In today's episode of the CG Insider Podcast, we'll be answering another great question submitted to our Ask Us Anything page at thecgbros.com by Valentina G from Turin, Italy. And Valentina asks, how are CGI environments created? Yes, and by the end of our discussion, you'll not have only learned how CG environments are created, but also some history as well as some of our personal experiences creating them and how you can use software today to start creating your own. Uh, Be sure to stay to the end of the podcast as well, because we'll be reading some of your comments on past podcasts that we've done. I'm Bill Johnston. And I'm Sean Johnston, your other host. Well, we are the hosts, yep, absolutely, of the CG uh, Bros Insider Podcast. Um, And what a great question, Valentina. Uh, so, Sean, let's jump right in. Um, how are CG environments created? I mean, we've talked about all sorts of other CGI things. How are the environments done? Well, first, what is a CGI environment? Well, in its simplest terms, it can be explained as a computer-controlled digital setting, um, which appears in the background of video games and animated movies. And it, and it creates the illusion of depth. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's mostly done for outdoor locations uh, or indoor locations. So they can be generated by either using 3D models, completely 3D, or 2D composite layers, or a mixture of both. Um, So that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, I was going to say that, and and, uh, CG environments appear in all sorts of things that we're used to seeing every day and probably don't even realize they're generated uh, in CGI. But, uh, you know, they're they're in art, they're in all the printed media we see. Of course, they're in video games and films and TV programs. uh, but uh, you know they're using commercials and, and music videos and, and simulators and all sorts of things that we'll get into a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, cover a little bit of the uh, history of uh, creating uh, CGI environments? Uh, well, I, I can start. I, go ahead. Yeah, go, ahead. Go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, okay. Start. Um, yeah. Well, if you want, I, this is actually I need to. Uh, this is the uh, the ultimate history of CGI on YouTube. Um, there's a film in 1980. Um, that I'm going to go to, unless you want to go before 1980s. Do you want to do that? No, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say the first uh, fractal-generated com- uh, computer animation, which is basically a, a mathematical formula, um, a fractal. And it's in, you see these things in real life. You can see it of our coastline. If, you, if you, you know, you're flying above um, any of the coasts uh, in, in the country or in the world, you can see something that kind of looks like a fractal. Um, and then what's happening in, in, uh, in, as far as the, the first movie is in about 1980 is when this came out, it was called Volibre and it's pretty simple to look at. I mean, today's standards, but, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. If you can pin me, you can kind of see the background. It's very polygonal. Obviously it's not very refined, but this mathematical equation was actually used in, um, at, uh, and it was shown by, um, Lauren Carpenter, who uh, worked at Boeing, and he went to SIGGRAPH in 1980 and showed this, and it got a standing ovation um, because it was so impressive at the time. There's no, no one had seen anything like this. In fact, 
after this was shown, um, this particular, um, his technique and what he used, math, uh, was uh, he actually got invited to work at Lucasfilm's um, computer division, which basically, you know, became Pixar after that. So it, it, it's interesting because he had shown it and it was a bunch of engineers had actually seen it in the conference hall, an actual image of this uh, cover of, you know, like a single, single frame of this animation. And they were so excited to see it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting um, uh, little story about that, the first one. That is cool. That is very cool. You know, and it, it, we don't... I remember seeing stuff like that, you know, in our in, in the early days, and and that's what really got me going into into CGI in the first place was seeing stuff like that, Sean. It was like stuff that you had never been able to see before, and you know, and I thought two thousand one, uh, Space Odyssey was uh, pretty amazing when he's going through, you know, j jetting through at the end uh, the the tunnels of light. I, I thought that was that was just pretty amazing visually uh, speaking, uh, but then you know when you see stuff like that that actually has form and, and physicality, it, it was it was I remember it was just really exciting and. Um, it's what got me into it in the first place. Yeah, I, I, just to, to go back to to the fractal itself, um, to be more specific. I mean, in mathematics, I, I should have been more specific. It's basically an uh, an abstract object uh, fractal, and it's used to describe and simulate naturally occurring objects and and things like that. And I think um, a lot of things we when we first I remember seeing the the Mandelbrot um, set. Of, of a fractal like, what is that and, and i've seen it on people's clothing and i never knew what that was until um you know that that uh that image first came out and then didn't realize it actually was part of uh, generating you know an abstract um, object uh, and then using it in in um, 3d um, i actually one of my first uh jaunts into that is was well let me go back it up the wrath of Khan, obviously i remember we showed that on one of our other podcasts that was another one was 1982 and that was based on uh, his um this the original uh, mathematical equations that he was using to generate those things um and then of course our own my own personal thing do you want to go into a little bit of history you want me to show some of my stuff well, I was going to say the Fibonacci, you know, I mean, you were talking about fractals and, and you, you also see that uh, Fibonacci, what is it? It looks like a snail shell. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a pretty universal shape and how we how we even view composition and stuff. And I'd, I was going to say, uh, you know, CG environments, you know, didn't really start to take place in, into the mainstream really until we you know, we started doing sky replacements. And that was kind of the early, earliest, I think, of, of really implementation of CGI environments. Uh, and they were doing, they, they use those for matte painting uh, and for, for doing background set extensions, ex, you know, initially. Uh, but then they you know, kind of moved into to the compositing phase of things when things turned into a little more uh, digital and you could actually render things out into layers. Yeah, I was very excited when I first saw that, um, the ability to get a actual software for my PC back in the early 90s. And I think there was a CompUSA was back then, uh, was around, but they, they actually had on the, on the shelves there when I first started getting into it, um, an actual program called Vista Pro. And it was a 3D landscape generation program, uh, originally for the, the Amiga and Apple Macintosh. And then it, it uh, went over to the Windows PC. And uh, it was uh, written by John Hinckley. And I, when I first saw this, um, I was like, wow, I can actually render these things just like I had seen in, in um, The Wrath of Khan, you know, um, in, in 1982. And it's That's still images, though, I, right? Because I don't think Vista Pro... Well, Vista... Mistaken, it didn't, didn't render animation. Vista did. didn't, but Vista Pro did. And so oh, okay. you could actually <laughs> have a camera, set up a camera in there. And so let me show you quickly if, if what it actually looked like. Um, this particular um, 
this is the program. You you would you'd render it just like this. I've sped it up a little bit in this little demo here, but uh, you know this this is what it kind of came out. There was actually some clouds that actually did form in the sky, but this is kind of, kind of how you sit there and just watch it render this thing. And it they gave you a bunch of um, USGS um, digital elevation maps and with the program. Uh, including you know Mars and Venus, uh, as well as Mount St. Helens before and after the eruption. And I would set up um, camera in this particular scene, and it would rot- and I would actually go have it go and follow around this little top-down view. You could set it up for the camera. It's really kind of cool, and it actually ended up. This isn't mine, but this is what I would do. I would do something similar to this, and I would just render it. But I only had like maybe I think it was like ten seconds because my my. Um, my computer didn't have enough RAM to play it. So I render out a 320 by 240 and then try and play it. And it just, it just would be so, it'd be like a frame. It'd be like a watching a slideshow was so bad. But uh, this is an actual fly through in Vista Pro right here. So, you know, like everything else in the early days of creating CGI uh, and digital environments, it was done by brute force. And it's really interesting just looking at that old work of yours that it was rendering from the back forward, you know, rather than, you know, it, 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 it renders over it. Some of sometimes it would render over itself mm-hmm. to to create that. And that, I thought I always thought that was really strange. Uh, but it would take you know, well, c- c- because computers are so much slower um, and rendering power is so small back then. It, creating uh, that animation right there. I mean, it was quite a thing. And it took what three weeks? It could take yeah. three weeks to render that thing. Yeah, it was well. I mean, unless you had it at a very very small resolution. But then, like you said, I mean, it'd be very difficult to play. I think we. When we first started getting into computers, I think uh, we had a, like a 486, 66, DX266 you had. And we we uh, rendered out a, a background of, of Vista Pro and then we composited using what is Autodesk Animator Pro <laughs> um, on top of that with a with a flying ship flying by and everything when you first got into it. Um, I mean, that was that was exciting back then. Yeah, I agree. And, and just creating anything in computer graphics was cool, I think. And, and uh, reading, being able to create a new world, a fant- any world you could create. I mean, like you said, we could we could create Mar- you know, Mars. We could create... Uh, and then you could actually import your own models, I, I believe, as well. You could. In, into, into that. And so you could actually have, you know, alien structures or, or, or you know, alien trees or whatever. You could make your own, own uh, avatar landscape if you wanted. What's really cool also is that right after that, um, when I first got into that, I love that. But then there's another program called Bryce, um, which came out. And this is the interface. I remember seeing Bryce for the first time. It was so interesting how they had laid out all the UI for this particular thing and, and rotating around. I actually really liked it. Um, it's still around. It, it actually was bought by Daz 3D, I believe, a few years ago or around, you know, somewhere in the 2000s. But it, th- what I liked about it too is it would render these really nice um, water effects, um, and the skies were actually pretty decent as well. But you can see here in my particular uh, this rendered image in the background, it would just reflect all the water, and just thought it was so so neat that it could do that. And then, like you said, you could add your own images and, and primitives actually in there, uh, I and mean, bring them in as I be- believe OBJs. Um, but really, really cool. Yeah, it was also you could actually uh, uh, cool with those programs. You could actually uh, alter the displacement, you know, with sliders, different sliders, the a- amplitude of the displacement, and you know, offsets, and, and change the color of the terrains and stuff. Uh, you know, retexture it as well. Um, it's really pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, they actually had something called uh, World Create World Creation Toolkit, uh, which I don't believe is around anymore. 
No, there was that one, and then there was also World Construction Set. Uh, yes, basically, yes, uh, yes. went out of business in I think the late 80, 1990, Excuse me. What was really cool about those programs were that you could actually, and, and Houdini has really taken on, has really kind of come into its own and, and done a lot of this because a lot of it was procedural based stuff. And so, where Houdini rocks, by the way. Um, but yeah, you could uh, you could adjust you could you could put your models in there and then designate the model and say okay, uh, based on a slider, I want ro- uh, you know rocks or or trees to to you know to, to come up to the pr- a certain perimeter and so you could you could designate um, you know based on altitude or something um, how you know what what the, where the tree line was and and where where you know rivers ran you could actually put rivers and and and, and streams in there. Um, There's a lot of stuff you could do. It was very it was it was just. God, it was so godlike when that stuff came out. It's just too bad it took so long to render. I love doing those, you know, working with those early programs. It was just very um, inspiring. You know, it was, uh, wow, we can now start doing what we've seen in the movies. And what was interesting, too, is the fact that when you use the word procedural, I don't know, uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand what that term means. It's, it's basically, you know, using instead of an image you take with your digital camera and then slap that on top of a polygonal model, um, when you, and you zoom, 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 zoom in, unless you have a super high res image. And even then it has to be so high res that you, that, that without making everything look blurred procedural is like a mathematical, um, resolution independent. Um, so you could pretty much zoom in and see, um, it would never blur out. It would actually look just like a real texture. And, uh, that was probably it's kind of like rasterized images in 2d in a way. Right. But uh, you mean the, the the problem you would have is is uh, with normal textures, like I said, they would blur and you'd see the edges and they just wouldn't hold up. Um, and uh, that was one of the reasons why I loved. There's a program called Dark Tree that came out in the early um, 2000s, and that particular program was I was using 3D Studio Max, and that was one of the first node-based procedural texture editors, and and it was so beautiful because I plugged into the shaders right within 3D Studio Max. And I could I could render out like for example this particular ground it's it's not a great picture but this is for two thousand guys so give me give me a break um, you can see the sand and uh, I was trying to use the the environment in in Max but the textures where the sand was was generated by um, by a dark tree and this particular render also was for uh, I was making a, a cinematic for the intro to um, um, a game I was working on called Sovereign. And you can see kind of the the sand on the very very bottom, and then the actual rocks, the procedures. And if you if, if we render in right now or, or zoom in, you can see it, my rendered view. The rocks just they hold up, and those are all procedural things. Those are all generated on top of um, just a simple primitive mountain. And it was just, but it took forever to render that. It was just amazing. Yeah, what's really nice about uh, doing some of the the world creating and, and digital environments is. Is uh, I mean, is is playing with the lighting. I th- I think I found that to be the most most um, impactful part of creating an environment. Because once you you know once you create a model or once you create any 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 three D scene or any three D asset for that matter, um, you know it's it really doesn't take on its true character until you light it light the scene. And, oh yeah. Uh, creating when you're when you're doing three D environments. I mean you you're creating. I mean. We all know what sunsets look like, and and what fantastic vistas we've seen, and what fantastic cloud formations, and how how the the atmosphere feeds into every everything in the environment. You know, when lightning strikes, it just it lights up the whole environment because of what's you know the rain in the atmosphere. It's just 
getting achieving some of those effects and getting getting some of those looks it's it's really rewarding it's a lot of dang fun I, I tell you some of these uh, I mean grab grab Unreal now I will we'll, we'll get to that here in a second but I mean there's so many great options now for creating your own terrain that um, you know if you're into it at all uh, it's never been easier yes and you can use what what are some of the environments uh, in some of the applications for CG environments you know you advertising uh, architectural visualization of course urban planning and things like that, uh, not just video games and films. So there's a lot well, that's of... the first thing people come to, comes to people's minds, of course. Of course. I think it's just natural because we all play games. and Right. And, it's, and that's so it. sexy. Yes. So beautiful. Sexy. Like you're saying. But lastly, <laughs> real quick, let me pin my last thing. So here's, here's one that I did for the intro too, where you have a bunch of asteroids and you circle around the earth and then there's a ship that comes down. And so you can kind of see that same scene I did. But the, the actual, the sand looks pretty good. That's 2000. That's your 2000. Um, what do you think? You critic? Are you a good critic? It looks critic? good to me. <laughs> I mean, especially for 20 plus years. Sean. Yeah. So there Holy you go. Smokes. Well, you know, here's a, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and uh, show this. I, here, here's a, while I talk, I, I'm going to go ahead. Here's some really great environments from, from uh, Avatar. I just, uh, you know, and some of the uses for, for uh, other uses for uh, CG created environments. And of course, uh, you know, gaming in Hollywood is is really use CGI a lot in their stuff, but they're they're really gaming and Hollywood, and we we'll probably do another podcast on this. They're really wrapping up their ability to go from more of a passive type of entertainment uh, model to to active participant uh, in movies, and so we sh we should see some amazing things coming from Hollywoods. And you know, we're so used to interacting with stories in a highly personalized way with with the, some of the games that are they're coming out with now. Um, so being able to you know choose your own point of view in a game or a movie will will really uh, you know set the bar for for new forms of entertainment. I think in the in the near future. I agree, and the technology that people are using to actually create these environments, you can you can actually buy models for them. You can create the own, your own models now, and you can bring in um, procedural. You can use pr procedural uh, programs like Terragen and uh, World Creator, like you said, using an Unreal. But then you can also do photogrammetry, um, basically the science of extracting 3D information from photographs. And a lot of, a lot of the guys now that I've seen, uh, especially on YouTube, there's a few people out there that have really impressed me uh, using the latest Unreal 5. They've actually used their own drones to take pictures of scenery and then use those um, to create um, different, different uh, sets for rocks and uh, formations of around um, the, the cliffs of, for example, um, let me just quickly show you this particular, his name is Joe Garth. And, and this is actually all 3D real time generated within Unreal. In fact, the water in the scene as well for the 3D environment. I mean, he, he tells you how he did this, but it just, it's so photo real. I, I, it's, it blows me away what you, we can see today um, and what Unreal can actually, and that's only, a, that's on a single G, uh, 1080 Ti. So yes, and that. what's amazing about that is it's uh, real time. It's real time, exactly. And uh, so I, I'm just I'm blown away. I just can you imagine if we started out and had these these tools at the very beginning when we were first starting? I mean, absolutely. Wow, breathtaking. Well, here's uh, I'd like to go ahead and show uh, since we're ta on talking about Unreal. Here here is a video uh, that was uh, created by a group of uh, folks. It was the uh, Unreal uh, Quixel 90 Day Challenge to see what they could come up with in 90 days of never working with Unreal and using Quixel's digital assets, which are basically real world assets scanned into the computer. And uh, this is what they came up with. It's, it's, it's an amazing uh, 
it's an amazing display of, I mean, think how long it took traditionally, Sean, to, to model environments like this, to mo not only to model them, but to, to texture them and to light them and to add the effects to them, the atmosphere and the, I mean, just tremendous uh, advances have been made. And this is, this is one of the magic marriages that I, I think uh, is really pushing the technology and, and the art forward. I almost feel like, um, you know, the pre-rendered stuff, for example, like uh, some of the TerraGen um, software programs where even though it's been used in, in probably, I don't know, two or three dozen movies and video games, um, you, you see the quality of, of those and you're going, wow, I can do the exact same thing in real time today using, um, you know, Unreal or Unity, in fact, because I know Unity is eventually going to catch up to Unreal as far as its capabilities and ease of use. Don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the funny thing about it is, is uh, they, it does look like the uh, cinematic, Sean. I mean, the quality is so good that uh, you can, you can do this on your desktop at home. You can, with this technology, anyone can make their own Hollywood level quality movies. Now, of course you need writing and you need to know all the stuff we've talked about in the past, which is, you know, some of the basics and cinematography and stuff like that to make everything look good. But, you know, you have the power at your fingertips uh, today. You have your full, you have a full studio. I mean, you know, like you said, you probably, you could do your own act, voice acting, I guess, or hire people, but you could, you could create your own silent film um, and just do words on the screen if you really wanted to, uh, just to give people an idea of what's happening. Um, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's just amazing what you can do today. I know I keep saying amazing, but it is. Well, so you can get world creator uh, landscape. You can get, uh, what is it? Uh, world, uh, yeah, world creator landscape, landscape and terrain generator. Mm -hmm. I think it's not free, but it's, you know, and, and world machine is another great place. Worldmachine.com. Um, you can, where you can actually simulate and not really, not sculpt. It's not a sculpting thing. You kind of simulate your, you know, add erosion and stuff like that and do all sorts of real cool stuff. And they're, they're between 119 and I don't know, 2000 bucks a, a year. Uh, yeah. You can create, you know, rivers and lakes, like you said, and, and like you said, you can erode it and simulate water flow, um, volumetric clouds and global illumination, um, sun rays and shafts. I mean, I mean, you could spend, I think the the world creator you're talking about is uh, for independence um, is of one hundred sixty nine dollars per seat per year, yeah. Um, so it's it's relatively inexpensive. You, you know, it's interesting up? the 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 ability to provide immersive experiences. Just we're just touching on it, and and it's going to transform everything in our world, as I mentioned. And I think the future is is really going to be a great place to to be because uh, the, in the areas of technology and CGI and how things are getting pushed so hard. I mean, and, 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 you know, it's really amazing because the, um, the uh, world of, of virtual reality and, and, and digital uh, environments and stuff, that's got the, that's the one area that's projected to have the highest potential for growth as far as digital uh, assets are concerned going forward. So, um, you know, experiences will just continue to get better and better and um, more realistic and more immersive and, um, and, uh, I, I think, you know, I don't know with the Elon Musk's Neuralink uh, plugin, I, I think we're going to be in some, some pretty awesome, uh, <laughs> virtual space. It's very exciting to see where we're going to go, um, in the next yeah. five to 10 years. It's just, it, you know, maybe they'll have some AI generated things based on, you just put in the parameters. Um, Hey, I want a, a scene, an ocean scene with palm trees and I want it to be at, at dusk. And then all of a sudden it just generates something for you, you know? 
Yep, that's what that's coming from. I've seen stuff like that. We'll we'll bring some of that to you as soon as as soon as it's uh, we 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 come upon it. Let's that's, do a part that's really two. The cutting edge. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, let's go ahead and jump in the mailbag uh, uh, right now. Um, we got uh, uh, a comment from Fam Min. Uh, Fam, thank you for commenting. She says, "Your channel is a wonderful playground for all CGI and VFX artists." Well, that's a that's a tremendous compliment, Fam. I mean that that's why we're around. We we love to be an inspiration, and, and uh, you know, being able to bring these things to you is is really our pleasure. Thanks. Well, I like I like how she categorized us. Uh, that was really nice. A wonderful playground. Um, this comment's from Brett Forrest. You've been very supportive in the past of my other films. Now with my first studio film, I couldn't imagine not coming to the CG Bros again. CG Bros again. Thank you for accepting my film. This means a lot to me and uh, to us for our bigger plans of getting this story made into a series. So uh, he once again with deep appreciation and thanks, uh, thanks from himself and the producer and their entire team. Uh, we pre- appreciate you saying that, Brent. I mean, we love having talented uh, creators just like you, and uh, we we encourage everybody to come to our site and get inspired. Definitely, and I think uh, one of the reasons that uh, we accepted your film is because it was a really well done. And I think um, you know the reason that a lot of people come to the CG Bros is, is we'll get your film out there, we'll get it shown. Uh, and we'll get it seen. And you'll uh, get that feedback. Absolutely. Uh, the last comment is from SM Toon and Francois from Podcast 24. How does CGI help us visualize data? He says, another great upload. Adore the amount of detail in your videos and how your animations are so expressive. Well, gosh, thanks. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm watching a cartoon show. That's good. Great work. Well, thank you, uh, SM Toon. We appreciate your comment. And, uh, We'll do we do our best to, to make these as entertaining as possible. Absolutely. Uh, well, we know you're a fan of uh, of great films, so be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well, um, where uh, you can see uh, some of uh, some of these films. Uh, and thanks again for being part of our podcast today. And we want you to know that we do do them exclusively for you. And we had fun answering Valentina's question today: How are CG environments created? We hope that you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did, and that you did learn something uh, that you didn't know along the way. And if you did, please be sure to share it with your friends. Hit that like button because it helps YouTube find other people like you who are interested in CGI and VFX as well. Uh, and uh, we appreciate that. And by the way, if you've got a subject uh, you'd like us to discuss in one of our podcasts, let us know about it by going to uh, the CG Bros website, uh, www.thecgbros.com, and go to the About Us tab and then on the Ask Us Anything drop down, just like uh, Valentina did. We're always looking to improve our podcast and would like to know what you think. Please leave us a comment below. And if you do, no guarantees. We may even read it during our, one of our future podcasts. And by the way, if you've got a subject that you'd like us to discuss in one of our podcasts, you can let us know by uh, going to our website and uh, going to the Add About Us tab. Um, just in case you didn't know, we bring you a new cutting edge edition of the CG Insider right here every week where we discuss things having to do with computer graphics, digital animation, CGI, uh, and other related and interesting topics. Again, go to our website uh, and also our YouTube channel and check out some amazing new media uh, producer uh, films and VFX uh, ex- examples and insights and, and inspiration there. Um, also, we're looking forward to seeing you here again for next week's podcast where we'll be answering another great fan question. How is CGI used in medicine and biology? We'll see you here uh, for that podcast next week. Well, that's it for today. 
We sure hope you've enjoyed the CG Bros answer to the question, how are CGI environments created? Thanks for being with us. If you watched us on YouTube and you enjoyed the experience, please hit the thank you button where you can buy us a cup of coffee. Please give us a thumbs up too. Be sure to leave a comment because we might use it on a future podcast and give you a personal shout out by name. If you're not yet following us on our channel, please hit the subscribe button. Subscribing is free and ring the bell so you'll be notified when we post our next podcast. Also, please share the video with your friends on social media. If you're listening to us on our audio-only version, please leave a comment. Oh, and don't forget to tell all your friends that they too can enjoy the audio-only version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcast, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible.com, and Stitcher. If you're listening to us on Spotify, you can share the podcast to Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr with the share link. That's the circle with the three dots in it. Here's a free bonus. If you'd like even more insider information delivered right to your inbox, subscribe to our free CG Insider monthly newsletter. Go to our website, thecgpros.com, and sign up. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. And be sure not to miss the next episode when the CG Bros will answer the question, how is CGI used in medicine and biology? This has been episode 2226 of the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. See you next time.